When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the latest edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast, originating each and every week from the TSL offices in Blacksburg. We laid off today's podcast with Some Girls Do by Sawyer Brown. Hope everyone is off to a great week, and thanks so much for making us a part of your plans today. I'm your host, Evan Hughes. Pleased to be joined, as always, TSL founder, the head honcho, Will Stewart, right in front of me to my right, CC, Chris Coleman, managing editor. Fellas, how are we doing today? doing well it's a beautiful day outside it is it's starting to feel a lot like the fall it's finally here i'm just excited that it's not raining anyway the leaves are (laughs) dropping and turning in my neighborhood and everything so it's starting to look nice not so much over here at the research center but in my neighborhood they are so one thing i'm starting to learn about living in blacksburg is fall is my favorite season and fall is great but fall is even better when it's in blacksburg well, I guess so is summer, so is winter, and so is spring. I wouldn't say winter. <laughs> I was about to say I would not say, would not say winter. You know, so the one thing I try and avoid during the winter in at Virginia Tech, you can't walk across the drill field oh. in January. It is so cold. It, it it's, is it's crazy. It's not the temperature. I mean, Blacksburg is generally a little bit colder temperature-wise, but it's not the temperature. It's the wind. I mean, you get a lot of days in the winter where the wind's blowing 20, 25 miles an hour, and it's just absolutely brutal. When, uh, when I was a student at Tech, there was one weekend where the temperature got down to 15 below. This would have been January of 85, I think. Some of you may remember that. And uh, they did not cancel classes because we were not wusses back then. It, 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 got down to, it got down to 15 below over the weekend. And then by Monday, it had, it had warmed up to five below or zero degrees. And yes, I was on the other side of the drill field uh, living in Newman Hall. And it was, it was a sight to watch people walk to the edge of the drill field, turn around and walk backwards across the drill field because they did not want to face the wind at, at zero degrees. Well, not as much to talk about as we normally would on a podcast. Of course, this is a special week here at TSL because of the bye week. We have two podcasts for you. This one you're listening to, we will recap the North Carolina game, which that's a lot to talk about in itself. We'll talk about it in its entirety. We'll get you ready for the bye week and uh, what that means for Virginia Tech. But we really encourage you to listen to the other podcast that we put out today. Will and I just had a great conversation with Tony Roby, the head coach of Virginia Tech Wrestling, who just had his contract extended. He just wrapped up his first season as the head coach in which Virginia Tech won an ACC tournament championship. Well, I was, I mean, we, we talked for 40 minutes. We could have talked for another hour. What a great conversation. What a great guy to lead this program. Yeah, I, I had to, I had to actually sit here and keep my mouth shut because yeah, I could have talked to him for an hour and a half. Um, so one of the things I said in that podcast that I, I want to encourage Virginia Tech fans to come out and see some of the wrestling matches in Castle. Tony said they average, they average about 2,000 fans. Largest crowd he's ever seen is probably 5,000. Um, and it's, it's as I said on that podcast, and I'll repeat it here, even if you don't know anything about wrestling, it's easy to follow a dual match. They just go through the, uh, through the weight classes one by one. You know, they keep track of the score. And uh, I hear it's like NASCAR. If you go to one wrestling match, you're hooked and you want to go to more. So... I encourage people to get out there this year and really support the wrestling program because just another couple thousand fans in the seats would would really add a lot of juice to that program. And Tony said that's an important recruiting tool, getting fans out to watch. I remember talking to him one time in an interview, and he said, said, I lose a lot of recruits to the Big Ten just because they're the Big Ten and we're the ACC. He's he's had recruits who will be torn between tech and a Big Ten school, and they'll go to the Big Ten school because the crowds are bigger and it's a – 
it's a bigger sport in that conference. Well, there's a lot to talk about that, or that we did talk about on that podcast, the upcoming season for them. Makai Lewis, of course, coming off of his gold medal about a month ago, we talked to him about uh, his future at Virginia Tech yeah. and just a lot of great content in there. Again, that's on our uh, uh, that's on techsideline.com. That'll be on the wrestling board. And, uh, of course, it'll be out on social media in just a little bit. Of course, this week and every week, the TSL Podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 15,000 people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031, or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. All right, guys, let's jump right into it. Let's talk some Hokie football. Virginia Tech, 22-19 winners on the road at UNC. Justin Fuente remains undefeated in his career at Virginia Tech in the state of North Carolina. It wasn't easy. But a win is a win. CC, where do you stand when you think about this game a couple days later? I guess the result was what everybody expected, but how we got to the result wasn't really what everyone expected. Yeah, i got to give props to Brandon Patterson, who does analysis for us. I think the headline of his article, and, and Chris, you probably wrote the headline. I'm sure I did. Something along the lines of uh, expectancy UNC to play Tech a lot closer this time around. It won't be like the last two it was, years. It was, yeah, it was basically the, the gist of it. I think I picked 34-17. to 17. So I wasn't predicting like a dominant tech win, but I thought they would, you know, control the game for the most part. And they didn't do that. I didn't think they played well. Um, I thought they, I thought they played better against Notre Dame in a 22 point loss than they did against North Carolina in a three point win. Yeah. Um, on the podcast, I predicted 42 to 20 Virginia Tech, but then when we actually ran our game preview, I dialed it way back from that. I think I predicted 27 20 or something like that, and it came in more along the lines of that. So we'll break down this entire game for Virginia Tech. Again, a come-from-behind win. Uh, at different points, it looked like it would the outcome would uh, would vary. But again, the Hokies win. They improve on the season to 4-2. and two. More importantly, 3-0 and oh in the ACC. All play, on the road. Which is incredible to think. Yeah. And they'll have a chance to get their first ACC home win on Thursday against Georgia Tech. Of That, of course, coming uh, next week. So one thing I want to start this off when we talk about this game. Uh, over the weekend, I had a chance to go to a camp. And what they do at the end of every night is a one-word pulse check. So what is a one-word pulse check that you guys had walking out of that stadium on Saturday? Pulse check as in heartbeat? Or just one word to describe what you were feeling. How about that? One word walking out of that stadium. Uh, I don't want to say fortunate or lucky because football players make plays that win games. Um, I would have to say I was relieved that they didn't lose that. There's a, I always say winning beats the heck out of losing, you know, no matter how you do it. There's a big difference. If you look at the rest of the season, there's a big difference between three and three, two and one versus um, four and two, three and oh. Um, this team, this Virginia Tech team is going to, Again, I don't want to use the word struggle. They're going to be challenged each and every week from here on out. Georgia Tech, Miami, even UVA is 4-2 and, and and looking like a better football team. So, um, you know, to, to be outgained like that and outplayed in a lot of aspects and get the win anyway, that's a, that's, that's a relief, you know, and it, and it makes me feel a lot better about the rest of the season. Yeah, something along those lines for me also. I think you don't want to be 3-3 three and three heading into the Georgia Tech game facing that type of offense with such a young defense that's never faced uh, an offense like that before. And, you know, we can talk, we'll talk about them at some other time. But uh, this was really – you don't want to call any game a must-win game for the most part in college sports. But uh, you know, Tech, Tech needed to win this game to keep their heads above water. Yeah, so if, if you kind of look – you know, especially given that Miami lost to Virginia um, – you look at the way the rest of the season plays out, and we'll, we'll probably talk about this either later on in this podcast or next week's podcast. I don't really view the Georgia Tech game as a big must win. I think Virginia Tech can lose that one and still take care of business against Miami, uh, Pitt. I, I, th- I think the real challenges to Virginia Tech for the, the rest of the way are Miami, Pittsburgh, and UVA. Um, I, I, you know, if – I think I can stomach a loss to Georgia Tech at this point because I think they, they would still control their own destiny. Yeah, I think that's an accurate way to put it. Um, 
you look if you beat if you lose to Georgia Tech and then you win the final four games, you're the Coastal Division champ. Yeah, I mean Georgia Tech at this point, what are they one and three in conference? They do not look like yeah. they're going to challenge for right. the Coastal Championship. They're not a very good team, but you know this is about we're talking matchups here. Yeah. Um, now at the same time, you know I was looking at their. I don't want to get too much into Georgia Tech right yeah, now, but right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was looking at their advanced stats rankings earlier today, and they don't give them up very many big plays on defense, but. Overall, their defensive efficiency rating is bad. I'm talking like 120th. I mean, they're not a Yeah, because if you look team. at their total defense, it's something like 50th or 60th in the country. But, but they're the, such a ball control team, right. you know, yes. that that's a very crude measurement. So it's more about efficiency. You're, you're exactly right. So, you know, this is a game where Virginia Tech, they're going to need to score, you know, 30, 35 points, something like that, to win the football game. And that's something they've struggled with against Georgia Tech the last couple of years. When Georgia Tech beat them in Blacksburg two years ago, it was 20 to nothing Georgia Tech at halftime. At halftime. Georgia Tech yeah. didn't score until the second half, which is kind of ridiculous. And, and, you know, they're going to have to do better than that this year. Well, they only needed 22 to beat North Carolina, but those points were a premium, not necessarily to start. Tech did jump out uh, first with a Ryan Willis 33-yard touchdown run that really fooled not only the defense but the cameraman <laughs> as well. Fooled the cameraman, probably fooled a bunch of people in the crowd. You know, yeah. Willis, you know, this was a game I think that he had adversity and he was able to overcome it. I think that a lot of players and aspects of the team grew up throughout that win for Tech. But he was able to score and put Tech up early, and I think in the first quarter, Hokie fans had to feel pretty confident about the way they started. <laughs> well, I uh, I was downtown before the game, and I went to a place called Top of the Hill, and then I went to another, downtown Chapel Hill. Downtown Chapel Hill, yeah, and then I went to another place that was pretty much their version of Tots down there. It had a, an outside backyard type. How does it compare? Just on a side note, I was smaller than Tots, uh, but I know I wasn't in there long enough to make a huge comparison. Um, but I've never really been a Tots guy. I know that's kind of a sin around these parts. Well, you're, but, uh, you're a champs guy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, at any rate, I like Tots in the summer when there's no, no students in town or not as many students in town. But anyway, uh, so I didn't actually get to the game. I, I sat down in my seat as soon as Ryan Willis cut right on his touchdown run. Yeah. So I didn't know how Tech got the ball. I didn't know that they got it. I didn't even know that UNC got the ball first and fumbled until – I read about it the next day or yeah. something like that. Uh, so I just assumed that Tech just went right down the field and scored on their first drive, and that's not exactly how it. Uh, it's not exactly how it happened, but uh, you know, it's one of the, it's weird. You know, Tech was they scored what twenty two points and you know, three touchdowns total, one touchdown on their first drive, one touchdown on their last drive. There just wasn't a whole lot in between in that football game that you could be happy You know, about. I mean, UNC scored 16 straight points. It was a long stretch of this game where they, uh, I don't want to use the word controlled, but they outplayed no, Tech they, and outscored Tech in the middle, yeah. yeah. Taking a look at Willis, you know, he actually gained 110 yards. He lost 22, so he nets out uh, to a total of 88. But I think that so many people thought when he – took over for Josh Jackson that the running element of the quarterback was gone, and he's really proven that he can run. I have a lot to say about this. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> the, the, the floor is yours. I'm, I'm in the middle of working on an article about the Virginia Tech offense, and it'll be released at some point this week. It'll be similar to the defensive article that I, that I wrote earlier in the week. But uh, going through the, tech, the stats of the Tech running game, and Virginia Tech has only uh, – their advanced stats and traditional stats make Tech's running game look average. They're like ranking the 50th and, and, or even some spots higher than that in some categories. Uh, but if you take out William and Mary and then you only focus on FBS competition, or even if you only focus on Power 5 competition, the running game becomes very much below average. Virginia Tech against Power 5 teams this year have only gotten to four yards a carry once. And that was against Notre Dame, and that was exactly four yards a carry. Wow. Um, so they're not running the ball well. But, and it's just like last year, um, Josh Jackson and Ryan Willis are two of the top three rushers in terms of yards per carry. They're two of the top three rushers in terms of highlight yards per opportunity, so big plays. Um, as usual, you know, Virginia Tech is having more success running the ball with the quarterback, whether that be through the quarterback scrambling like we saw Willis do on that one run, but or the, or the read option. I think he's gotten better at the read option. He, he made some bad decisions in that Duke game, um, but I think he's getting better there. Uh, and I think it, to continue to have a good running game this year, um, or to improve their running game, I don't know if, it'll, uh, if it has the capability of becoming good. Virginia Tech needs to run that read option with the quarterback and, and have him account for that extra defender 
because, you know, I don't think Virginia Tech is capable of executing consistently with the traditional running game. I mean, the numbers that I've looked at say that. Uh, I mean, outside of Stephen Peoples, who has had a good year, uh, Tech's just not getting much production from the traditional running game. Uh, the offensive line hasn't been as good as people thought it would be. Uh, and I think whatever injury Nijman had last year, it seems to have forced him to the right side of the line of scrimmage because maybe he just doesn't have the mobility that he used to have. I don't think that's helping matters at all because he's, you know, you, you consider him, uh, I thought he was a definite NFL player at this time last year, um, probably a third or fourth round pick, maybe something like that. Uh, he's not going to the NFL. He's not an NFL player now. He's just a completely different player than he was last year, and I think you probably go back to that injury that he had late last season was at the Georgia Tech game. It was a Miami game. Yeah, it was a Miami know. game when he got knocked out, and then that basically caused the Josh Jackson injury um, because nobody else could handle Miami's pass rush. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've, I've watched, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a, a very savvy offensive line observer, but I, I recall the ODU game in particular, and, and I said this on the message board, yeah, everybody had a bad game against ODU. <laughs> But, uh, you know, Nijman struggled with uh, – and he's been struggling with the defensive end pass rush all year. You know, um, if you watch him in isolation, he's, uh, he's uh, not an NFL player right now. He's that not, doesn't mean not. he won't get there at some point in the future, but he's, he's, not, he's not doing great so far this year. Yeah, well, you were halfway through his senior year. Yeah, well, it is what it yeah, is Yeah, okay, you're right. Well, you look at the running besides Ryan Wilson, you really have to account for the fact that his – Touchdown run was 33 yards. So he finishes with 88. So in reality, somewhere around 50 yards is what he ends up with. Peoples, 14 attempts, 41 yards. McLeese, 7 attempts, 14 yards. So mm. the last two games, the run game has really been taken out, and it's been the arm of Willis that's been winning games for Tech. Yeah, uh, I think well, I think the running game against Notre Dame was effective. They just had to abandon it by the fourth quarter. I mean, they averaged four yards a carry that game, and if you take away the silly Ryan Willis sack when he should have just thrown the ball away, they would probably average close to five yards a carry in that game. They were running the ball effectively, but they just couldn't couldn't do it for the whole game. But if, if, they, if that had been a four-quarter game, they would have rushed for 200 yards on Notre Dame. But on the other hand, they averaged two yards a carry against Duke, uh, less than four yards a carry against the UNC rush defense that had not been good this year, mm-hmm. 2.8 yards a carry against Florida State. The running game was really good in the first quarter against Florida State, and then I thought it was pretty good late in the game. But outside of the first couple of drives and the last drive, really, they didn't get much done. So it's been really, really inconsistent. And and they still uh, they need more talent on the offensive line, I think, because they've got some experienced guys, particularly on the right side and, and in the interior. But I don't think they're as physically gifted as some of the younger players in the program. But those younger players, some of them aren't ready yet. You're talking about, well, they're starting a true freshman at, at left tackle. And then they started a redshirt freshman at left guard. Yeah, Lucita Smith got his first start of his career um, yeah. so against UNC. I'm, I'm really happy with the young talent that's in the program, and I'm happy from a Power 5 scholarship standpoint from that analysis, um, the type of lineman that they're going to be bringing in next year. But, you know, it, it'll, it takes two or three years to develop an offensive lineman. Um, I mean, that, that's probably the most difficult position to play early simply because – of the physical needs at the position you haven't those guys haven't they haven't developed grown man strength yet and then then needing to work with your other offensive linemen and develop your zone passing skills and learning to work together zone blocking excuse me learning to work together you know as a zone blocking team do you think that virginia tech has gone away from the run the last couple of weeks because the offense is tailored more to willis's arm strength necessarily compared to josh jackson i think they're uh, maybe against I, 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 Duke, I, it appeared definitely. Yeah. Uh, well, I think Duke. The fact of the matter is, they couldn't run the ball against Duke, and that's why. I mean, they averaged two two yards a carry. I mean, I think they had forty one carries for eighty one yards against Duke. So they ran it a lot. Oh wait, I'm getting confused. I'm thinking of the Notre Dame game where he threw over fifty times. Duke, they only threw twenty seven times. Right. And I, I, I'd have to I'd have to look at a breakdown. Um, was he throwing a lot early against Notre Dame, or, or was every play in the fourth quarter a pass, and was it fairly balanced before then? I, I, I don't know. I remember him leaning pretty heavy on the pass from the get-go. Right, okay. Yeah. okay. Um, so I, I think it depends a little bit. You, you have to look at the, the breakdown. I, I think they were 
think they really wanted to run the ball against North Carolina, and they just they didn't do a good job of it. So I, th- I think they're disappointed in that. So I think you still have to strike – you want to strike a balance to a certain extent because you see what he's capable of, and I say that in a good way. You also see what he's capable of, and I say that in a bad way. I, I mean, the, the interception he threw into triple coverage on first down from the Carolina 26 was just awful awful there were three guys there (laughs) it's first down man if it's not there just throw the ball away you got two more chances and if you don't get it then you can still kick a field goal and you go and you go up 17 to 16 time place and situation i mean he's just not good at at, at, when it comes to things like that but he's also a very talented player who can take you 98 yards and 18 plays to win the game which we are just about to get to moments away here on the tsl podcast proudly presented each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm. So there were multiple plays in that fourth quarter that I think Hokie Nation was on the edge of their seat. I think we should pick it up on the one-yard line. Carolina's on the verge of going up two possessions with six and a half minutes to go, which wouldn't have put the game out of reach, but it would have made it a very tough uh, mountain to climb for Virginia Tech. Um, Listen, a lot of people have said a lot about the defense as of late, but at the end of the day, They come up with a huge turnover at the right time. They're able to get the ball back to the offense who's able to win the game, and I think that that's something that Bud Foster has to be really pleased with. On the one-yard line, some guys might just say, hey, they're going to score, let's get the offense back out. But they were able to get a turnover, and that was a huge point in the game. Yeah, I remember last year during the Pitt game when Pitt ran it all the way down to the one-yard line, and I'm like, got to let them score. Got to let them score (laughs) because there's no way, way, you know, if – if this takes them two or three plays to score, we're not going to have enough time. But as it turns out, they got the goal line stand and won the game. Uh, I was It's a little bit surprising to see this defense have a stand like that. You know, they had a fourth and short stand against against Duke uh, where they stopped Duke on fourth down near midfield. That was and impressive. I think they also stopped Carolina on a fourth down play. I, I yep, think you're they right. did. You're they right. did. So they did a good job of uh, not breaking when Carolina got to the red zone. Uh, some of that's Carolina. Uh, yeah, Carolina. Uh, the stats are Carolina made seven trips into the red zone, kicked four field goals, I believe, missed another field goal, um, fumbled one away, and scored a touchdown. So only one touchdown and seven red zone trips, right. and that's huge. Right. So going back to the fumble that was picked up by Quillen at the one, you know, it took him a couple of uh, <laughs> attempts to pick it up. If he picks it up on the first hop, mm-hmm. there's a good gone. chance he's able to return that for he, a touchdown. Yeah, he's gone, and, and that was, what, about seven and a half minutes left? Yeah, it's about six and a half minutes left. You watch that replay, and and that ball bounced up clean, and he just he did that thing of taking his eyes off it before mm-hmm. he had it secured. Um, worked out best in the end, and you never know if he'd run it all the way down there and Tech had gone up 22 to 19, what would uh, North Carolina have done after that? Yeah, so. they, they certainly weren't having any trouble moving the football at yeah. that point in the game. At uh, the very least, they probably wouldn't have been able to down there and kick a tying field goal. They would have, yeah, at least been in a position to do that. Um, so it worked out. So, um, so let me ask you this. They get the ball in the one, 18-play drive that takes up the the rest of the clock, essentially, minus 22 seconds. Is that the biggest drive of the season for Virginia Tech so far? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, I thought the opening drive against Florida State was very impressive. I thought it went 75 yards. And it really set the tone for that it, game. It did. And I, uh, I don't remember how many plays it took. The last drive against Florida State was an 85-yard drive in seven in just seven plays, and Virginia Tech iced the game. I think the 75-yarder, 75-yard drive was only about seven or eight plays. It wasn't a, 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 I think a right. lot of yeah, plays. Yeah, it wasn't. It I was just very efficient. I don't boom, remember boom, the boom. Yeah, I don't remember. Do you remember an 18-play drive in the past? I guess there has been. There's got to be at some point. But I think if you go back and look, and remember, I go way back to the 80s. I have memories of some 19-play drive that went from one end to the other and ended in a fumble or an interception. <laughs> what was that, like the 92 Rutgers game? Or the, it it <laughs> might have been, been the Will Fuhrer era. He liked to throw end zone interceptions, you know. But there's somewhere in the annals of Tech football history, there's a 19-play drive. You know, and you didn't hear him say after the game that that's the longest drive ever. Yeah, that's true. You didn't hear that stat because I don't think it is. And I think the worst part of it is I think I remember a 19-play drive that didn't score at all. It was probably one of those uh, 
games in 1992 with that they lost in the fourth quarter to like NC State. Or there are a lot of candidates. Or something like that. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and, and go into the question I just ask you. Though. I'm going to say it is, and the reason why I understand, you know, Florida State that set the tempo. Well, it's definitely early. the biggest drive of the season, yeah. But just in in a, in a sense of. To me, that's a game that Tech cannot lose. Well, right, yeah. I, I, and go back to the Florida State game. Florida State scored three points. They weren't going to win that game, um, no matter what Tech did. On but the it did set drive. the tempo early. It did set the tempo. I, but, yeah, I agree. Uh, the North Carolina drive is the drive of the season. I will be surprised if, if by the end of the year we have another drive that is that dramatic, that, that long from a play standpoint, from a time Oof. standpoint, from a yardage standpoint. And there were some penalties on that that extended the drive. Um, More plays. Right. Right. Uh, but I, I don't. I think there were some dramatic plays in that in that drive against UNC. Also, the third and fourteen pass to Stephen Peoples, where he made the back shoulder throw, mm-hmm. great throw, and, and uh, great catch. That's great that's, catch. You know, then there was a great catch, and the ability to keep his feet in bounds was impressive. Or and, one foot in bounds, and then and fourth and was it fourth, fourth and, and seven? Nine, fourth and nine. nine. I think so. I didn't. So I didn't have my phone the whole weekend. All I got was an update on Saturday night saying that Tech won a thriller. And I go and watch the highlights on Monday morning, and just the composure that Willis had. I mean, he looked as comfortable as you could look with a game on the line, trying to pick up a first down on your feet. You know, he, the one thing you can say about Ryan Willis is that he has confidence in himself, and he was okay with making a gutsy play there, and he did it to perfection. I don't think he had much of a choice, did he? I mean, I can't, I don't know how that guy behind him didn't get him to this day. I just, so we're talking about the fourth down run. Fourth down run. Yeah, you're talking about the pass rusher that was behind yeah, you. Yeah. Oh, I, I I put a clip on YouTube of of that play, and what really stood out to me about that was that the the middle linebacker Jonathan Smith, I think was his name, was spying Willis. He was waiting on him to leave the pocket, and he underestimated him. Willis just blew past him, and Smith never even laid a glove on him. You know, even though he was actually watching him, waiting for him to break the pocket. So then Tech eventually scores. They get down in the red zone. Dalton Keene has one catch of the game for one yard. The touchdown <laughs> that clinched it. Uh, and, and listen, you can look at it in the, in the last three starts for Willis. You can make an argument that Dalton Keene's become one of his you know favorite or targets that he feels more comfortable going to. What, what a line. I remember playing fantasy football one year when Jerome Bettis was still in the NFL. And I think he had uh, his line one game was – I had him as, as a running back. I, his line for a game was five carries minus three yards and three touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely ridiculous. You get that he got me 18 points or whatever. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think they tried to go to Cunningham earlier, and that was the play where Willis threw that interception that I was just complaining about a few minutes ago. Uh, but I think when you get down there on the goal line, I thought that was a great play call. Honestly, he could have thrown it to either one of his tight ends. Um, Willis, or excuse me, Keen was wide open. Chris Cunningham was wide open. Uh, so I, I think generally just everybody wants Virginia Tech to throw it to the tight ends more. And Virginia Tech fans, I think besides, man, I think our off- I wish our offensive line was better. Besides that, I think the, the line that most Virginia Tech fans have said since as far as I've been following Tech football is, why don't we throw it to the tight ends more, right? Uh well, because we had Brian Jennings back in the mid-90s, and he was really good, and Tech didn't throw it to him all that much. And Keith Willis. Keith Willis was, was another one. Um, so the only tight end that but, I can remember in my lifetime, not to cut you off, right. that Tech threw to was Greg Boone. That was the guy that I always remember kind of being Jeff a, King was one that Tech threw to. He, he, uh, but when they did throw it to tight ends back then, it would generally go for like 20 yards in a huge game. I mean – Literally, uh, the West Virginia game in 2000 when Bob Slowakowski caught that, what, 80-some yarder for a touchdown from Vic. He caught three passes on the year for like 150 yards, and that was one of them. Every time Tech did it, it went for a monster play. Oh, and there there was some stat. uh, Who who was it that played with Slowakowski? Browning Wynn. I think Browning Wynn caught something like nine passes and eight of them were for first downs. Yeah, it was yeah, something it, like that. Yeah, I think there was one point back then where, like, we threw, like, to the tight ends, like, 17 straight times and all 17 of them went for first downs yeah, or something in yeah. one of those years. Uh, it was some, some kind of crazy stat. So, it's one of those things where if you don't do it very much, when you when when you do throw it to the tight end, you're going to get – you can get a really good result because it's just not something people expect. So you've got to try to find a way to balance that. Uh, but honestly, you know, Virginia Tech's wide receivers are playing well enough that 
You know, every 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 time you throw it to Chris Cunningham or Dalton Keene, you're not throwing it to Eric Kuma, who is awesome at jump balls, or Damon Hazelton, who, you know, for for the most part, has been a very good receiver for Tech this year. So uh, it's about striking the right balance. But it seems to me that Virginia Tech, they have specialized plays that go directly to tight ends. Like when they want to throw it to the tight end, that tight end is the is the number one guy on that route. And uh, and if it's not there, then you throw it away. Like the, I don't I don't even know if there was a second receiver on the Cunningham route uh, the this past week. I think there was actually. Okay. If you go back and watch. Okay, the I think there, there might have just been two receivers out down the field on that. But uh, so I don't know. It's about striking the right balance. I'm okay with 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 the balance right now, though. Taking and actually the balance, and I've said it before on the podcast, and I'll say it again. Willis does such a great job of getting everybody involved in the passing game. You look at the the stats from this past week: Savoy six receptions, Kuma five, Turner Hazelton with two, Peoples with four, Keen with one. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a variety of um, receivers getting involved in the offense. And credit to Virginia Tech's receivers: Savoy stepped up. Hazelton only two receptions for 36 yards, and as long was 29. Well, they were both on the on the 18 play drive. Uh, the first one was that 29 yarder on second and nine, I think, and uh, that was a big time play and a key play. It really jump started the drive. So, in my Monday article, somebody put up a really good comment after the article, and uh, I don't know if he's looking at some sort of advanced statistical analysis or if he if he went through the numbers himself. But he said that Hazelton was targeted eleven targeted eleven times and only caught two balls. And then if you look at uh, what were Ryan Willis's uh, stats for the day, twenty of thirty six through the year, twenty of thirty six, two hundred twenty one yards, two touchdowns, two picks, a long of thirty three, and he was sacked four times. So uh, he had a much higher success rate when he wasn't targeting Hazelton. Uh, now this same poster said that Hazelton was targeted thirty percent of the time. That sounds a little high, but, you know, I, th- I think every quarterback's got his receiver that he feels comfortable with, his go-to guy. Um, so I'm not passing judgment one way or another. I'm just passing the numbers along, you know. Uh, so I, I – getting back to the tight end discussion, I do want to add this. If the Virginia Tech offense is struggling, it's not because they're not throwing enough to the tight end. It's because they're know? not running the football. You can't yeah. run the football and they're struggling up front. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Um I feel much better about this group of wide receivers than I did last year. I don't think anybody right now is as good as Cam Phillips. Hazelton still drops too many passes for, for my comfort level, like the first interception this past week. I mean, that, that was Hazelton's fault. It hit him right in the hands and bounced in the air. Um, but on the whole, this group is better. Um, now think about think about where Trey Turner is as a true freshman. I think he's caught seven or eight passes. Um, He's gone up in traffic to catch passes, beating guys one-on-one. He caught the pass the other night, showed some shake and bake, juked a guy out, and then got a big gain. Now go go back to two years ago when Eric Kuma, as a true freshman, was in the two deep and did not catch a single pass, right? Yeah. And it wasn't like Tech was super deep at receiver back then. No, they had three of them. Yeah. Kuma was like their fourth receiver, and he didn't catch any passes. Wow. Uh, I mean, or he was their – it was all Bucky, yeah. Ford, and Cam yeah. Phillips. Yeah, and then you know you had uh, in the slot you had C.J. Carroll catching a few, but he well, was ba- and then they he threw was to Sam Rogers a lot back then. He too. was basically their backup outside receiver, and he didn't catch a single pass. Yeah. And this year, you know, you've got Phil Patterson as a backup outside receiver who's ma- who's made a few plays for the Hokies. You've had Trey Turner as a backup outside receiver who's made some plays. Uh, so just the overall depth of the, of the position is so much better now, and. And still, you know, Kuma's the oldest one as a junior. Everybody else is a sophomore or a freshman. Everybody comes back. And while we're on the receiving um, core, I think it's an appropriate time to bring up uh, some of the news about C.J. Carroll uh, and him announcing uh, via Twitter, I believe it was, that uh, he is retiring from football essentially uh, with a foot injury, something that he's battled with the last couple of years. I know that he's somebody that Coach Fuente and the entire staff really admired his work ethic. Then I remember Fuente saying on Monday at TTL, he's done everything they've asked of him. And it's just a bummer to see someone with so much talent that he has and the work ethic he's put in uh, have to hang it up, uh, hang up his cleats a little bit too early. Yeah, especially in the middle of the season like that. Uh, former walk-on. He, I thought he was really starting to play well towards the end of 2016 uh, when they were using him in a slot role. And that's when he originally injured his foot. I remember he had that big catch and run. Really, I think it was to open the second half against Notre Dame. Yeah, it was. It was game. at some point in the second half. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he was a guy that I, I thought could have been a good contributor for the Hokies. Not to suggest that he wasn't, but because he was. But you know, it could have been more if he if he hadn't had those chronic foot injuries. Well, they tried him at punt return, I believe, against Notre Dame as well. So well, they they, they, they've he's returned punts. I think he returned one or two last year, and. Uh, 
you know, he's a guy that when he fields it, you know, he's probably the right choice back there as Virginia Tech's punt returner, um, but won't be able to do it anymore, unfortunately. And while we're talking about that, I, I, I would like to put in a word for Hezekiah Grimsley as punt returner. <laughs> return. Yeah, somebody who can or, catch the ball, just start catching the ball. I, I think Virginia Tech has had a fumble and punt return in five of their six games this year. Uh, yeah, and they haven't lost any of them, right? Yeah, very fortunate. And Justin Fuente says it's all about communication. It, it's about He says it's about so much more than running it back. It's about communicating, making sure guys know what's going on, catching the ball, and then you get to run it back. Stroman was incredible. Not, not I mean, everybody returns his re, – excuse me, remembers his returns for touchdowns. I remember him just running out of nowhere, like surrounded by like five or six opponents and just – Coming up with a fair catch. I mean, you've got to have a lot of guts to do that. You've got to you've got to have a good feel for the ball. I mean, if Stroman was a baseball player, he'd be center fielder clearly because he can judge a fly ball like that, and uh, that's really difficult to do. And he's the punt returner for the for the Redskins right now. So uh, that was part of his game that I think people just don't appreciate was his ability to make decisions on the fly and to catch the ball in traffic. It's it's really really difficult. So going back to the touchdown, uh, there are two. Well, the touchdown, and then the end of the. There are two celebrations I want to talk about. Non-players. Number one, my favorite thing when I saw the highlight of the touchdown of Keen is in the corner of the end zone. You've got Whit Babcock, athletic director of Tech, with his two hands in the air, all fired up. I thought that that was an underrated part of the game. I thought it was pretty neat to see. But the celebration that everyone's going to talk about was Fuente tackling. Bud Foster at the end of the game to the ground. You think those two were elated to get the win? I definitely think so. And don't let Fu ever tell you that he doesn't have a little extra special place in his heart for beating UNC. All right, there are five times since he's been here in the two and a half years he's been here that I can remember him getting emotional on the on the sideline, whether it was anger, happiness, whatever. Um, we'll go back to the first one. The first one that I remember was the hug with Bud Foster at the end of the 34-3 beatdown of UNC. Uh, then later that year, he goes nuts at Notre Dame on the mm-hmm. fall start right. and gets penalized. Actually. That was awesome. I yeah, loved that. I loved it, too. It was great. Um, and let's fast forward. The next last year against UNC, Stroman returns the punt back. And if you look on the sideline, Fuente's running, I don't want to say step for step with Greg Stroman, but he's running, but he's running, down, he's the running, he's running down the sideline. He's really pulling for Stroman to get into that end zone. And then earlier this year, he was really excited the block punt for a touchdown right before the half against Florida State. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then this celebration at the end of the UNC game. So 60% of his big emotional moments have come against UNC. And – He's played UNC three times, and there's been one of those moments in each game. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think he has anything against Fedora, by the way. I, I think it's Virginia Tech recruits the state of North Carolina so heavily, and they go head-to-head with Carolina for so many recruits. Uh, I was at the game the other night, and the Carolina fans at one point, uh, Carolina had a run. Dax Holyfield made a tackle. And the crowd was really quiet for a second, and the – the PA announcer said, tackle by Virginia Tech's Dax Holyfield. So it was really clear who made the tackle to the whole crowd, and the Carolina fans booed Dax Holyfield <laughs> because he picked Virginia Tech over UNC, and he's from North Carolina. Um, so I think I think there's some of that going on there. Um, I don't know. It's not something he would ever admit in front of, in front of uh, the media or anything, but to me I, I've heard that that's the team that really rankles him, so to speak. I still love that celebration at the end, though. And he went back and said about Foster, he didn't mean to tackle him. And there's a great meme, by the way, you know, the the Titanic music in the background. <laughs> yeah. oh, of, yeah. I mean, that was uh, – social media had some fun with that. And I'm sure that will be a <laughs> gift that's used throughout the season um, to talk about this win. Another thing I do want to point out, too, is at the end of the game, uh, it was House Gaines who had the sack to mm-hmm. clinch it. And I thought that was a really um, awesome moment in the season that I think that should get a little bit just more um, – recognition and love just because of everything that he's gone through uh in the last month or so with the passing of his mom he's had two uh two good games in or in the state of north carolina I, I don't know if he had a good game against north carolina or not but he certainly had a good moment at the end of the game 
And I think that's three and a half sacks he's has in the state of North Carolina this year. <laughs> like he had two and a half against Duke and one against UNC. But you so know, good for him going back to his yeah. home state like that, especially with the circumstances he's had to endure recently. Just kind of a feel good, um, feel good way to end uh, for Virginia Tech. So again, the Hokies four and two, three and zero oh in ACC play. By week, everyone can kind of exhale and here we go. Thursday night, Georgia Tech. Where are, we, where are we feeling? We're not quite there yet, or are you guys getting ready for that? Uh, I've got to study it some more. Yeah. I don't feel great about it right now, to be honest with you. Uh, they just – that offense – and it's not that they're exceptionally good this year because they're not. They're not very good at all. But <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I just don't trust a young Virginia Tech defense that's never seen that offense before. And if you look at it, Carolina put up over 500 yards on Virginia Tech. And then Notre Dame – I think they had about 150 yards at halftime, so they put up around 250 yards in the second half, a little over 250 yards. So, I mean, Tech's given up like over 700 yards the last six quarters of football. Yep. I, I mean, I, and that's just not how you want to go into the Georgia Tech game. Now, if, if you could guarantee me 35 points, I might pick Tech. But, you know, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, yeah. But I, I don't know. I've still got to study the game a little more. So I, I think. Uh, you know, look, look. If if I'm Georgia Tech, I'm looking at where Virginia Tech is is struggling the most. It's tackling on the perimeter. It's it's run fits on the perimeter and tackling on the perimeter, and I'm attacking the perimeter with the uh, that's the a back right. Um, that's uh, that's what I do if I was Georgia Tech. I guess that's sort of good news for Virginia Tech because if if they're pitching, then they're more likely to turn it over. The game you were talking about where Georgia Tech was beating Virginia Tech twenty to nothing at halftime. They, I remember breaking that game down, and Virginia Tech was lined up in such a way that they, they had their inside linebackers towards the sides of the tackle box. Mm-hmm. They were giving up the middle of the field. And Georgia Tech, something like, I am not exaggerating, something like 55 out of 58 running plays were up the middle, either the quarterback or that dude yeah. who you never Be heard bad. of before who shredded them. And so – you know, Georgia Tech will, will figure out where they want to go based on your personnel and how you're lining up. So I think, you know, we'll see how Bud lines everybody up, but I think that Georgia Tech's probably going to be looking at the perimeter in this one. Now, that game two years ago, the reason I bring that up is there was no way Georgia Tech was going to turn it over. They were running the easy stuff. They weren't pitching yeah, the ball. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and we'll talk a lot more about Georgia Tech for next week's podcast, but you take a look at the one common opponent that they do have with Virginia Tech. That is Duke. And the Blue Devils held them to 14 points. They did. And Tech held – Virginia Tech held Duke to 14 points. Yeah. Well, Duke's got a very experienced defense, though, that has faced that uh, that offense a lot. And so I just think that's a completely different matchup. Uh, and that game shouldn't uh, – turnovers really decided that game kind of in both ways. Georgia Tech really only should have scored seven points. But Daniel Jones threw this awful interception right before halftime that gave them great field position. And then George Tech kept turning it over in the second half. I think Duke scored three touchdowns in like a minute, 50 seconds or something like yeah, that. Yeah, George Tech had three crazy. turnovers, and Duke scored three touchdowns in less than two minutes. Yeah, they, they also have a couple of big shootouts this year. South Florida, who's one of the eight undefeated teams left, beat them 49-38. They had those two kickoff return for touchdowns that were um, a, a big reason why they won that game. I think their best win – is probably against Louisville, sixty-six to thirty-one. Yeah, but Louisville laid down for that one. They Louisville's did laying down forever. So it's going to be interesting. <laughs> and, and, I, and I was about to bring up the point too that this bye week should be great leading into the Georgia Tech game. But I'm hesitant because Virginia Tech had a bye week going into Old Dominion, and we saw how that looked. So yeah, the mindset's different though. They were full of themselves going into that Old Dominion game, and they're not full of they're themselves. Full of themselves now. Now. I, and I, I and know, I agree with that. So they know exactly what they're up. Again, that's Thursday of next week, and we will have a podcast next week. Mm-hmm. Yes, we'll we'll get it done and get it up. So uh, look, on Wednesday. Yep, looking forward to that. So uh, I think it's a great time though, since we don't have a game to kind of preview. I think we should close the podcast and kind of do a little round robin going around the ACC, especially the Coastal Division, and I think we have to talk about. So if you go look at, uh, I can't remember if I put it on the Tech Sideline Twitter feed or my own personal Twitter feed, I put up the uh, Coastal standings and then I put up the remaining schedules for the top four teams, which is Virginia Tech, Miami, UVA, and Pittsburgh. And those four teams have only played each other once. UVA beat Miami this past weekend. So they're going to play a lot, almost a round robin in the last month and a half of the season. And it starts this weekend with, I think, UVA and Duke playing each other. 
and really there aren't any other games of import to the Coastal this coming weekend. The, the ACC is pretty quiet this coming weekend. Well, well, the Atlantic, you got NC State Clemson. Yes, so that that's a big game. That There may be like one other ACC game, and that's it. So the action's really going to pick up uh, with Virginia Tech's Thursday night game against uh, Georgia Tech. Uh, so Tech, uh, Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech play on Thursday the 25th. There's a big game on Friday the 26th. I think it's Miami and somebody. I don't recall. But, uh, yeah, it's going to get hot and heavy here in about a week amongst the coastal teams. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let me ask you this, CC. Taking a look at the ACC right now, can you give me one team that's been the biggest surprise to you and the biggest disappointment? Hmm. That's a good question. I think NC State's been really good despite the fact that they lost all four of their defensive linemen to the NFL. Still undefeated, NC State, 16th yeah. in the country. I and they got Clemson this weekend. Um, so they've surprised me to a certain extent. I guess maybe not if you look at their schedule. Um, disappointment, uh, man. <laughs> I mean, Florida State's got to be up there. Florida State's got to be up there. Louisville's got to be up there. Not that I'm disappointed that Louisville's really bad. Yes, surprise, <laughs> surprise is the word here. Yeah. We're, not, we're not disappointed that either one uh, of those teams are yeah. bad. <laughs> uh, I thought Florida State would look a little more competent than, than they did. Uh, I didn't think they would have a great year per se, but uh, I, I thought they would be like an 8-4 and four team or something like that. I, I didn't think they'd be 3-3 three and three at this point or whatever it is they are. Will, is it fair to say that you can make an argument that Virginia is the surprise of the ACC so far? From a record standpoint, yes. Um, knowing what we know now about, about Louisville, it's not that much of a surprise that Virginia beat them. It is a surprise that they beat Miami. Uh, now, you can watch – I've only watched the highlights of that game. I watched a 20-minute uh, YouTube uh, uh production that didn't have every play from their game but it had the highlights and Rozier and uh what's UVA's quarterback's no, I name I can't. Bryce Perkins Bryce yeah. Perkins Rozier and Perk Rozier Rozier and Perry I guess Nik- Nikosi Perry's probably included in this the team te- two teams threw five interceptions in the first 20 minutes of the game and they were bad interceptions so I'm not how sure I'm not sure how good UVA is their record's good you see some talent on the field. They're making some plays. But, man, Perkins made some awful throws in that game. I think – I'm not surprised by their 4-2 and two record. It's kind of like Virginia Tech. I'm not surprised Tech is – you know, let's assume that we knew the ECU game was going to get canceled or whatever. I'm not surprised Tech is 4-2. and two. I just would have thought that one of their – I thought they would have beaten Old Dominion and then lost yeah, to yeah, Florida yeah, State. Yeah, flip Florida State uh, and yeah, Old Dominion. Yes, exactly. Uh, but I, and I'm not surprised UVA's four and two really because they got off to a good start last year. Uh, they started out five and one last yeah, year. Yeah, they right? did. I'd yeah. forgotten about that well, until I went back and looked at it the other day. The only surprising thing to me is that, that I wouldn't have picked them to beat Miami and lose to Indiana. It yeah, would have been the other way around. Yeah. Um, so well, I think we're still finding out a lot about certain ACC teams. Oh, I will say this. The ACC is not nearly as good as it was two years ago. Oh, no. no it's you know, bad. It's, well, there's no, there's no number two team to Clemson. Right now it's oh, Clemson there's and there's nobody else. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want Virginia Tech to make the ACC title game, but, <laughs> you know. but I really don't want to play it. <laughs> 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 well, so let, let's have some fun here. Let's let's take a look at the rest of Virginia's schedule. I'm going to give you guys the game, and you got to tell me win or loss. Let's predict – UVA's final record right here on hey, TSL. Hey, so hold that thought. First of all, let me slip something in there. Florida State's 3-3. Three and three. Correct. In their last six games, if you look at ESPN's power index, they're only out and out favored in one of them. Uh, that would put them at 4-3. and three. Lose the other five, and you're 4-8. and eight. You're talking about Florida State? Yeah, what was it? What was I saying? No, I just, talking, so talking about Florida gotcha, State. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, now, one of those games where they're projected to lose, it's really kind of a toss-up, them in Boston College. The point I'm making is that Florida State is right on the ragged edge of not going to a bowl this year, and you know what that means. That's acceptable. It's official. Yeah, that means, you know, you don't have to put an asterisk in a footnote Whoa, whoa, anymore. whoa, 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 whoa. we got to <laughs> well, the, the cart before the horse here. <laughs> Virginia Tech's 4-2, and two, and they well, don't they look very a, good. Hey, you, you know, know we I could know. conceivably lose. Any, every game on our schedule. From very true, on. very true. You know, so. I am making an assumption <laughs> there. But uh, So, anyway, proceed with the Virginia discussion. So, I, I'm going to give you the rest of the games. Again, keep in mind right now, at the moment, Virginia's schedule so far. 42-13 winners over Richmond. 2016 lost at Indiana. Hmm. 45-31 winners at Ohio. 27-3 winners uh, against Louisville. 
35-21 lost NC State. 16-13 win over Miami. So they are 4-2. That's a solid 4-2. God, yep. I wish Tech played Louisville this year. <laughs> <laughs> and next year and the year after. So here we go. Virginia at Duke this weekend. Win or loss, Will? I I would I would bank on UVA losing that one for a couple of reasons. Uh, I'll bet Daniel Jones is is a lot healthier than when Tech played him. I really think that they kept him in the, Duke kept him in the pocket and that that kind of neutered their offense to some extent. Uh, UVA is coming off an emotional win, you know, going on the road not not like Duke is a pit. I mean, holy cow, they they have hardly any fans show up. I just think uh, I think Duke wins that one. The last couple of years, uh, Duke has really struggled with Virginia. And Daniel yeah, Jones yeah. has been awful against Virginia. I think if you were like five or six picks against I think UVA year. actually might be on a two-game win streak against Duke. Yeah, I think you're Interesting. right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, now, that being said, I think Duke is so senior and junior laden on defense this year, with the exception of cornerback. And I don't think the cornerback position matters as much in this game because Perkins hasn't shown a I don't think UVA is going to stress. Right. Uh, so, so both are taking a loss here for uh, UVA. Yeah, I think it's close, but I think Duke will win. Okay, UNC at Virginia next week. Virginia. Yeah, Virginia. I, I think it would, it would not, in all seriousness, it would not surprise me if Virginia Tech broke UNC. Not that UNC was – all that great to begin with, but they had 16 days to prepare for the Hokies. They put a lot into it, and they lost on almost the last second play. It wouldn't surprise me to see UNC just roll over. Yes, yeah, not that they had a, a bye week, but they had more than a bye week because they played on that Thursday night. Before. That's right. That's, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, how about Pitt at Virginia, November 2nd, a 7:30 kick? What day of the week is that? Is that a Friday? I bet that's a Friday. I haven't seen – yeah, I think that's a Friday night game. He's, yeah. he's scrambling we for were his talking phone. About it is a Friday night game, um, November 2nd. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I haven't seen Pitt play, and I don't know a lot about him, but I do know they lost to UNC. So, I'll go Virginia. Mm. I'm going to go Pitt on that one. We're going to diverge on that. Liberty at Virginia. Do, do we see an ODU Tech-type upset? Can whoa, the whoa, Flames... is, is that, That's the week before they play Tech. No, no, there's Georgia Tech in between. Okay. That's November 10th, Liberty at Virginia. I'm assuming we're both going to take UVA here? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Good Lord, I've got them at seven wins already, right? Virginia at Georgia Tech. Virginia at Georgia Tech. Uh, Georgia Tech. Hmm. Yeah, let's go Georgia Tech on that one. And then, of course, the matchup of the Hokies? Yeah. Oh, I'm still picking Tech. Yeah, Virginia I mean, Tech. I- uh, it's hard because, I mean, they've got to do it at some point, and it seems like if they were going to do it, it would be this year against this defense. But, uh, you know, uh, based on what I know now, I, I just I can't pick them to beat us um, after so many years of not doing it. And it's not like they look like they have a dominant football team out there or anything like that. I mean, when they beat Miami, that was more about Miami. I mean, how do you lose a game when the other quarterback throws for 92 yards and three picks? So Chris Coleman's got UVA going seven and five, and Will's got the who's going six and six for back-to-back years. I think Bronco's a good coach. Uh, now I don't know that he'll ever be able to recruit at a high enough level for them to be better than a seven and five, eight and four football team. But uh, he's a vast improvement over what they had. Hard to hard to believe. A couple of years ago, was it 2012? They made the Chick Fil A Bowl, and they were the um, they won what nine or ten games. That was, in the two, ACC? That was 2011. Uh, was it really? Yeah, they had a pretty, well, pretty good team there. Yeah, they did because the, the Tech-UVA game in Charlottesville was for the Coastal Division title. And yeah, UVA they, was ranked, right? I think they, yeah, they, they were 24th. 24th, and Tech beat them 38 and nothing. I remember. We're sitting in the end zone, and, you know, Tech's, tech's just smoking them. What was that, 38? 38, 38 nothing. nothing, you know. And so we're sitting in the end zone, and, and, and at the end of the game, my buddy Carl turns to a UVA fan next to him and goes, so who are you going to root for in the ACC championship game next week, us or Clemson? And uh, – and that almost led to a fight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that guy was not happy. It's like, oh, yeah, and he blew up. So I don't care. I don't care what's that game. <laughs> All right, well, that was fun, just taking a look at, uh, at UVA. And, again, they did get votes inside the AP Top 25 this week. Again, I mean, Virginia Tech more than not. Tech, yeah. yeah. Um, they rank ahead of us in S&P Plus rankings. I mean, uh, from an efficiency standpoint, you know, Tech's not looking good right now. And I will say, though, going back to their win against Miami, that helps Virginia Tech immensely, in my opinion, in the ACC Coastal race. So, so yeah, here's my take on that. People who have been hanging around on the site, have, and I may have even said it on the podcast, Miami, when they come to Blacksburg, that will be a five-game stretch where four of them were on the road for them. For Miami. For the Canes. 
this was the first of that five-game stretch. They roll into Charlottesville and lose. Um, I can't tell you off the top of my head who they're going to play on the road the rest of the way, but that's that's big for Virginia Tech. It really kind of doesn't matter from the standpoint that I think Virginia Tech still has to beat Miami. Um, it's, it's nice that Miami's got an L, but I think the psychology of starting that tough five-game stretch and losing the first one, I think that's important. And not knowing who your quarterback is. And changing quarterbacks while they were doing it. So here's the rest of their schedule. They go to Boston College next Friday for a 7 o'clock kick. Chestnut Hill's no... There's no pick. Cakewalk. I mean, yeah, but Boston College, you know, it looked like they were good to start out the season, and it turns out they're not. Then they will host Duke on November 3rd. Then mm-hmm. they go to Georgia Tech, to Virginia Tech, and host Pittsburgh to close out the season. Man, see, that's that's tough. Um, so some 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 comments there. I think anything could happen at Boston College. Um, so in that five game stretch, the one home game they have is Duke, and it's not like there's going to be a raucous crowd there for that one. You know, it's not like it's not like it's even that great of a home game. It reminds me of the Virginia game last year. Remember when the Hoos almost went into Hard Rock Stadium and beat them? I think it was like 49-42 the final. It was wow. a shootout. Yeah. Yeah, Virginia was beating them at halftime, and in the second half it, like, completely flipped. I think there was a pretty substantial comeback in that game. Uh, Miami is a, is a very talented team, but I still think that they're fragile mentally and emotionally. And, you know, what, what happened at UVA kind of proves that. They turned it over a lot. R- Mark Rick changed quarterbacks. You know, there was a big deal about going from Rozier to uh, Perry, and then he just goes right back. Now, granted, Perry was – I think Perry probably two, threw two of those three interceptions. He was playing poorly. So, they're kind of they're kind of what I would call in flux right now. My, Miami's defense is really good. Yeah. And, and this division is so easy this year that – all you got to do is just not throw interceptions, and they're gonna. And Miami would win this division without breaking too much of a sweat, in my opinion. But apparently, they don't have a quarterback who can do that. Keep this in mind too. Here's what I want to end it before we uh, wrap up the podcast. Number sixteen, NC State, at Clemson this weekend. Both are undefeated. If NC State somehow pulls off the upset, which I think they're capable of doing, I think Ryan Lindley is an underrated quarterback. He could probably be the top NFL quarterback prospect in college football this year if they're able to beat Clemson you're talking about if they're able to take care of business and their schedule is favorable the rest of the way I mean you love your chances against NC State and Clemson if if Tech can get to the ACC championship if they they beat Clemson you know they'll have the head-to-head tiebreaker so if they drop the game they would still go and I don't see two from here on I don't see Boston College or Syracuse contending where's that Syracuse game no it's up in Dome because if it's in the dome, all bets are off. So NC State after the Clemson game, they host. I'm sorry, they go to Syracuse. There you go. That's it. next week. <laughs> that one. All right, if they, if tell, they, tell me if, it's on a Friday night. If, if, they, if they beat Clemson, if they beat Clemson after playing in a great crowd of eighty thousand people, and they're going to go up to that Carrier Dome, there's going to be thirty thousand people there, and, and the air conditioning isn't going to be on, despite the fact that Carrier is an air conditioning company, and they're going to lose. That's just what happens. I know. After yes. that, they're home against Florida State, home against Wake, at Louisville, at UNC, home against East Carolina. Wow, that's a, that's that is a favorable schedule. It's um, a favor, favorable schedule. Um, so I, I don't know a lot about NC State, but you got to think if anybody can beat Clemson, it, it would have to be a team with a good quarterback, mm-hmm. correct? Because their defense is so phenomenal. You, you can't you can't roll out a halfway decent quarterback and expect to beat Clemson. You got to have a good quarterback. In the last 2 years, you can make an argument they should have beaten Clemson. They missed the field goal at the end of regulation 2 years ago. Last year they were leading the whole game and then uh, lost it yeah. late in the fourth quarter. So we sit here and talk about NC State like this, but they're NC State and that's typically what they do. You know, I'd like for it to be different cuz I like them, but that's typically what they do is they get close but not quite. We'll see, you know, a senior quarterback versus a freshman quarterback. Um, and Trevor, uh, here's the I don't. I'm sorry to cut you. I don't think Trevor Lawrence has been playing as well as people thought he would be up to this point. Yeah, I I, I kind of agree with that. I mean, I watched him get knocked out of the game against Syracuse a couple of weeks ago, um, and they had to go to their third string guy basically, who's now their second string guy since Kelly Bryant uh, left. Um, so yeah, I don't know. You, you never know what could happen. You never know. Trevor Lawrence has got all the talent in the world. You know, he could go off at any point, or he could go out there and play like a true freshman. It's kind of hard to say. Um, I'm in now. Clemson's defense is so dominant. Their they, defensive they, line's they, unbelievable. They cover up a lot of deficiencies on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I'm inclined to think that they'll win it. Um, 
The Clemson will win. But yeah, but at the same time, I just don't with their quarterback situation. I don't know that. I don't know that I see them as an undefeated team this year. Uh, I, I think if they go to the playoffs, as good as their defensive it is, it's going to be like last year, except. You know, I think what they lose to Bama like twenty four to six in the playoffs last year. Yeah, and they kind of died a slow death. I mean, yeah. their defense played well, but there's only well, it was kind of like what they did to Tech in Lane Stadium. Sure. You know, it, yeah. the score was sort of close, but the game wasn't right. And here, here's the last thing I'll say before we wrap this up: If NC State finds a way to beat Clemson, is the best chance the ACC has getting into the playoff North Carolina State? They they're sixteenth ranked right now. They're undefeated. They'll probably climb in the top ten. That's probably their only chance. You know, so yes, by definition, it's their best. I love chaos. So let's see what happens. <laughs> well, that, well then you love the coastal. <laughs> I, I, well, I don't know. You know, it would depend on how far Cle- would Clemson drop outside the top ten if they lost to NC State. I don't think they would. No, I bet you like eight or nine is right, where they right, probably drop. Right, exactly. And then if NC State lost the very next week to Syracuse, I bet Clemson would be back higher in the rankings. Than and NC it depends State. on how, say, and how it, things and it, break. And it, well, and it won't matter even if NC State doesn't lose anymore after that, and they go to the ACC title game. It won't matter that Clemson didn't make the ACC championship game. I mean, Alabama made the playoffs without even making the SEC championship championship game last year so I I think it kind of depends I I think this year though the voters on that committee would look at Clemson and say man they they lost a game and even though their defense is awesome they've got a true freshman quarterback and I just don't view them as a top four team this year I wouldn't put them in the playoffs I don't know that they're one of the top four teams right now I, I just I don't think they're good enough offensively but they have the talent to be. So the good news yeah, is there's still absolutely. time left for them. And, again, the ACC, it's much different than it has been the last couple of years where you have two teams that could make the playoff, like Miami last year, Florida State a couple of years ago. I mean, this is, you know, again, I think ACC, the the, the conference as a whole, they really want Clemson to win out. I mean, that's their really only sure bet they well, have. I mean, why wouldn't you if you're if you're the ACC office? I mean, I mean I, NC State's a top 25 team. Can you honestly rank anybody else in this conference in the top 25? Not I, after I, that I loss to UVA for Miami. You can't. I, I don't think there's a, another one single other top 25 team in this conference. Man, conference is rough this year, it's, man. It's bad. Uh, I mean, we're sitting here talking about we're looking at the all the Coastal Division schedules for all the, the remaining contenders, and we're like, well, it's a tough schedule for Miami. Is it really a tough schedule, mm-hmm. or is it just because Miami's not that good? Yes. You know, I think yes. Virginia Tech. The Tech's, answer is yes. <laughs> I, th- I, I think Virginia Tech's schedule here on out is tough. I think it's the most favorable out of all the Coastal Division teams, but I think it's tough. But if this is Virginia Tech's team from two years ago, I'd be like, we are breezing into that right. ACC Yeah, title we are going to the ACC championship. Yeah. All right, so last thing before we wrap up here on the TSL podcast, some news uh, we got when I was actually driving over here to record the podcast, uh, that Virginia Tech with Babcock and the Athletics have extended the contract of John Sung, uh, the head coach of the Virginia Tech lacrosse program. Of course, he led uh, lacrosse to their first NCAA tournament appearance last I'm, year. I'm saying it now, man. That's Virginia Tech's best chance for a national championship, you know, because there aren't a lot of schools that play women's lacrosse. Uh, and they're good. Spe- Tech is good in lacrosse. And, and rapidly getting better. And specifically, the Big Ten and the SEC have not turned their huge truckloads full of money towards that sport. Yeah, last year the national championship game was Boston College versus James Madison. Yeah, you know, if, if Virginia Tech can and JMU actually played Tech last year, they played them. They played each other close. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there's a lot of pieces coming back for VT Lacrosse this year. They're going to have another great year. Yeah, so you know, uh, I, I think I think you want to keep an eye on that program, and we we will be covering on on TechSideline.com this year. We, we'll have to give them more attention. We gave them some last year, but I want to give them more. Well, and they beat Syracuse, uh, which is a legendary program for the first time in school history, as well as Notre Dame last year. Uh, I had the chance to cover both of those. So, again, congratulations, Coach Sung. And, and you know, a, a job well done as well to Whit Babcock, Chris Helms, the entire athletic department, you know, keeping Tony Roby here, John Sung. They're really doing a great job, I feel like, all around uh, with coaches here at Virginia Tech Athletics. Yep. So, don't forget to do the this week's song lyrics. Yes, I would have. Thank you for reminding me. Let's uh, Let's take a look at Will's Twitter bio. Of course, we will lead off the podcast next week with this song. Will thought I was going to get it this week, and I still yeah, didn't I said, get I it. I said it's relatively easy. It's, it, I didn't pull one from the dark ages from some obscure song. Can't keep my hands to myself. Think I'll dust them off, put them back up on the shelf. This song was uh, very popular for a relatively long time. Um, appeared in commercials and things like that. Chris, you know what? Nope. 
I'm bad. I'm awful at this game. I'm just. I, well, here's the thing. I, I know don't even know it, what Chris listens I, to. I listen to music, but I don't really listen to the words. To be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, yeah. These these are actually the opening lyrics to that song. So the song is "Feel It Still" by Portugal the Man. Oh yeah. Um, those are the opening oh, lyrics to that, that song. Yeah. You're yeah. exactly right. They are. Well, it, but the the lyrics in that song are not easily understood though. But so my my story about that song was. Uh, I was getting bored with listening 70s on 7 all the time. and it's started a great station, though. And I, Well, it is, but I, I started wandering around uh, Spectrum, mm-hmm. First Wave, which is old music, and Alt Nation. And I remember the first time I heard that song on Alt Nation, I thought, man, I love that song. You know, I just, you, you know you hear those songs where you meet it, you're like, man, I love that song. And then I'm listening to uh, the Spectrum probably a month later. And the uh, DJ comes on and says, so here's a song that's been really well received over on Alt Nation. I'm going to bring it over here on the Spectrum, you know, tweet at me and tell me what you think. And she kicks into Feel It Still by Portugal the Man. So they played it. They started out on Alt Nation. They played it a long time on the Spectrum. And then suddenly you started hearing it on Hits 1, K92. It hit mainstream. And they started playing it a lot. It started getting a lot of, of uh, standard radio airplay started showing up in commercials and everything so um that song was was out there for a really long time love that song we'll lead off the podcast with the next week all i do know is that you're going in alphabetical order i'm bobbing so my I, head because i can hear it <laughs> leading off the podcast <laughs> hey real quick techsideline.com of course great content each and every week it's a little bit different with it being a bye week so anything new or anything we can expect on the uh, on the website this week. Yeah, yeah. Chris is doing articles kind of mid-season looks at the offense and the defense that I think are in-depth and, and good. Yep. And we'll have a Friday Q&A as usual. The usual. And lots of podcasts this week. Lots of podcasts. I'm telling I, and I'll and I'll close with this. Please check out our podcast that Will and I just did um, here on Wednesday afternoon with head coach Tony Roby of the wrestling program. Just a lot of excitement over there. Um, with their program. They're off. They're going to have a great year this year, so definitely check that out. Well, that's going to do it for this week's uh, edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy your weekend off of Hokie football, and we'll talk to you next week as we get you set for the Thursday night game, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, and Lane. Hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you next week right here on Tech Sideline.